Well, you hear the music, you look at the clock in your car or your watch or your iPhone, and you say, wait a minute, is it 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning? Yeah, just after 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and it is the Hockey Show. Dave Rothenberg with you right here on 98.7 ESPN. Let me set the table for you. Uh, we're going to, of course, do the big look ahead later on in the show. Steve Valaket, former Rangers uh, Islanders netminder as well, is going to join us in about 15 minutes to kind of go through a lot. Of, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I have a feeling a lot of different uh, pieces of where we are in the NHL analytics. How big of a thing is that? Where we are with the, the local netminders, uh, his career, what it was like growing up in Toronto, being a goaltender. So a lot to get into with Steve Valaket. We'll do that. At about 7.15 this morning, big show on hand on tap. Um, what we saw from the locals this past week, well, some good and some not so good. And let's not waste any more time. Let's let's get there immediately. Rangers had three home games this week. They really needed to win all of them to get themselves back into contention. We start last Sunday against the Sabres. They paid a visit to the Garden, and it was the Mika Zibanejad show, really, Um one nothing. Rangers take the lead. Mika scores his 17th of the season. Uh, Sabres rebound later in the first period. They tied at one on a goal from Jeff Skinner. And then it's Capo Caco, who's been much better of late for the Rangers with a helper from Adam Fox. His 39th assist on the season. Caco, his seventh goal, made it 2-1 uh, for the Rangers. Then it's 3-1 Rangers. Still first period now. Zabijanjad scores again his 18th of the season. Uh, it's a power play goal. Panarin and Fox with the assists on that one. We go to the second period and Mika Zabinajad completes the hat trick, uh, makes it 4-1 Rangers, his 19th of the season. Kaku and Rooney added goals after that. Rangers get out of the game with a 6-3 win uh, last Sunday at home against the Buffalo Sabres. So they needed that win. They got it. We turn our attention to Tuesday for the Blue Shirts. Tuesday, it's the Sabres again. Same venue at the Garden, same team, Buffalo. Scoreless into the second period in that one. And Brendan Smith, with his fifth of the season, made it one nothing for the Blue Shirts. Now, Sam Reinhardt uh, tied the game at one late, late stages of the second period. I think three seconds left in the second period, and we're 1-1. Rangers could afford to win the game in a shootout or overtime, but couldn't afford to not get two points out of this. Uh, you didn't have to worry any further in the third. Uh, Lafreniere scores his 10th of the season. He's been better of late as well. Uh, made it 2-1, and Zabinajad scores his 20th on the year, made it 3-1, and that was your final score. So this sets up a monster matchup between the Rangers and the Islanders at the Garden on Thursday night. A win in that one would have put the Rangers three points behind the Islanders, and they take uh, take on each other, take each other on, I guess I should say, for lack of a better term, uh, tonight as well. But it didn't matter because the Islanders right now are just they're just the better team. Uh, let's run through how this went down. Uh, Komarov scores uh, made it one nothing about six minutes into the first period for the Islanders. Uh, then it was two nothing on an Oliver uh, Wallstrom goal, his tenth of the season, and it's two nothing for the Isles. And, and you think to yourself, well, the Rangers have come back against the Islanders. They, they came back from a two nothing deficit at the Coliseum a couple weeks ago to tie the game and send it into overtime. But that was not meant to be on Thursday of this week. It was more of the same in the second. Uh, Bovillier scores to make it three nothing Islanders, and then in the third period, Matt Barzell scores his fourteenth of the season. Uh, four nothing is the score at that point, and four nothing is the final. 
final score in the game. Varlamov stopped all 25 shots thrown his way as the Islanders blanked the Blue Shirts by the score of 4 to nothing. And as you would imagine, David Quinn was not pleased after the game. Here is the head coach of the Rangers on the loss to the Islanders. Yeah, it's just disappointing overall. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, obviously they get the first goal and that team gets a lead. They they do a really good job. I know it was early and it's only one nothing, but again, you just didn't love the feel after that. And then they made it 2 nothing, and they just did everything that they needed to do. They stayed on top of us. They took away time and space, made it difficult for us to get inside and just made it for a long night for us. They were the better team, clearly. The Islanders are just, and it's fair to say, they are just the better team than the Rangers right now when those two teams um, match up against each other. More from the head coach of the Rangers, David Quinn. Uh, it's a loss and it's painful and it stings and it stinks, but what can you learn from games like this against the Isles? I think we've got to learn from them and do some of the things they do. A little bit of a mentality that they have that, you know, they don't, they, they never beat themselves. Now, we're also built differently, so sometimes we're going to have the ability maybe to score some goals that uh, other teams don't, but that doesn't mean we can't do all the things everybody can do, and that's what we've got to get better at. We've got to understand situational hockey better and not get frustrated. I thought we did some good things early, not consistent enough, but I thought we played some of the period the way we needed to play, and we just needed to do it more, and we just didn't do it. And like you heard from the head coach of the Rangers, once the Islanders get a lead, it's like a boa constrictor. They just they constrict and constrict and constrict, and they make it very difficult um, for whatever team they happen to be playing. More from David Quinn. Uh, we mentioned it. The Rangers were five points uh, behind the Islanders heading into that game, had a chance to make it three, had a chance to make it one if they would win um, the other night and tonight. Didn't happen, so head coach of the Rangers, are you disappointed with how you played given the circumstances? Just disappointed because it's not what we envisioned. It's not what we expected. And just, it's just a, something that uh, we're going to have to learn from. And obviously, uh, you know, it's a game of this magnitude. We've got to learn how to win games like this. As for the Islanders this week, well, last Saturday they were home against the Washington Capitals. It was not a pretty game for Trotz and his hockey team. New York fell behind 2-0. Uh, goals from Bavillier and, and Pellick tied the game at 2, but didn't make a difference. Capitals got goals from Dowd and Sprong, take a 4-2 lead, and they go on to win it by the final of 6-3. to three. So the Islanders lost that game last Saturday uh, against the Capitals. Then on Tuesday, Capitals again, this time in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Daniel Sprong, how about this? He lights the lamp for, for his 10th on the year early. I mean, a minute and a half, something like that, into the first period. It held up all game long. Washington blanked the Islanders by the score of one to nothing. Sorokin, though, was excellent in this one, stopping 31 of 32. But Vanacek stopped all 15 for the Capitals as they beat the Islanders again, one to nothing. So I guess you could kind of say the Islanders came into the game Thursday against the Rangers, reeling a little bit, having lost a couple consecutive to the Capitals. But it made no difference because they just own the Rangers right now and, and beat up on the Rangers at the Garden uh, by the final score of four to nothing. Varlamov uh, with the shutout in that one. So Rangers lose to the Islanders, but the Islanders very, very pleased. And here is Barry Trotz. How happy are you with uh, how your team played against the Rangers on Thursday? There was a lot to like about that. I thought uh, we were connected in all three zones. And yeah, we just stayed with it. I, I like the fact that we didn't deviate the whole game and uh, we were hard to play against. Uh, it was probably frustrating for, for them. And, and uh, you know, it, it was our game. We were we were on the puck. So that is a very happy coach for the New York Islanders, Barry Trotz. Now, speaking of happy, a happy netminder. Um, Varlamov has really owned the Rangers at the Garden. This was his third shutout of the season at MSG. And here is the Islanders netminder discussing three shutouts at the Garden over the Rangers this season. 
season. Listen, I, I like to play at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, every time I play here, it's very special uh, for me. There's a lot of history in this uh, arena. It's too bad we were playing without fans. This building is always buzzing uh, when we have fans here. So it's always fun to play in front of the Rangers and Islanders fans. So there's a lot of uh, Islanders fans uh, come come here and then uh, try to support us. So every time I play here, I try to have fun. Well, he's had a lot of fun because he has shut the Rangers out three times at the Garden so far this season. Uh, let's turn our attention to the Devils. Now, last Saturday, they lost 4-2 in Pittsburgh. New Jersey fell behind 3-0, did get goals from Hughes and Wood, but eventually uh, lost that one by the final score of 4-2. Then Sunday, they lost in a shootout to Philadelphia as they started a little three-game run against the Flyers. 4-3 was the final uh, in that one. It was the Flyers again on Tuesday, and the Devils lit the lamp a bunch in that one. It was Heischer, Zaka, Wood, Carrick, Sharon Govich, and, and Maltzeff. They all scored for New Jersey as they won that one by the final of 6-4. to four. Another game against Philadelphia on Thursday, and another scoring barrage. Sharon Govich led the way with two goals. Um, Devils get away with a 5-3 victory. So how about this now? New Jersey has five out of a possible six points in their last three games. So Devils playing a little bit better hockey and here is the head coach Lindy Ruff about how pleased he was with the third period on Thursday night. Uh, real happy. We passed up some big opportunities in the second period. I talked a lot about you know having that killer instinct. If we get inside, let's shoot the puck. I thought Brad passed up an unbelievable opportunity in the second. I thought another three on one. We passed up an opportunity. Don't even get a scoring chance. So we talked about making sure once we're inside, you know, make the right decision. If you've got a clear lane, you got a clear shot, let's take it and have a heck of a shot to, to to get us a big goal and then I thought we played solid defensively and one more from Lindy Ruff the difference in, in playing with the lead as a and as opposed to falling behind in these games and how important it is to score first in these games well, I think if you go back to early in the year, uh, we've had great opportunities, uh, hit a lot of goalposts, didn't score early, maybe really early in the year. We did score first, but we've had opportunities, I don't know how many times, maybe from game you know, 15 to 30 where we hit goalposts, we didn't score. We had great opportunities, we had breakaways. And you know, you can get the other team on, on, it, on the heels and get them to gamble a little bit more, you get more opportunities. And I think that real solid first period, uh, power play was good and... You create some confidence and you, you play well after that. So that was the week that was for the locals. Islanders really kind of cement that that playoff berth because they're going to get in with a, a lead uh, seven-point advantage over the Rangers right now. Rangers, two wins and the loss, and the Devils got going uh, towards the end of the week by beating the Flyers two out of three and getting the point in the third game in that one. So here's where we're going to take a quick break, come back. Um, Steve Valaket's going to join us from MSG Network. We'll get into all stuff with the locals and his career and analytics and everything in the game of uh, of hockey right now. And then, of course, uh, towards the end of the show, we'll we'll go around the, uh, the locals and find out what's coming up this week. So a lot to do. You go nowhere. Rothenberg with you. It's the Hockey Show on a Saturday morning right here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, welcome back on a Saturday morning. It is Dave Rothenberg with you here. It's the Hockey Show on 98.7 ESPN. And uh, I mean, this guy has really kind of burgeoned into superstardom as far as being a, an analyst on television. He is Rangers analyst Steve Valaket. He's going to be in studio uh, tonight when the Rangers take on the Islanders at 7 o'clock on MSG. Pregame coverage getting underway at 6.30. But in addition to that, MSG Networks also recently launched MSG Networks Pick'em, the network's new free-to- 
Play Gaming app, which offers sports fans a chance to win real cash prizes during NHL and NBA games based on the accuracy of their selections. Rangers and Islanders fans can download the app and enter uh, tonight's contest for a chance to win a grand prize of $9,000. So, Steve, really appreciate a couple minutes here on a Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you, Dave. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for calling. Absolutely. So there's there's a lot I want to get into with you, uh, and I want to look at the net miners that we have here. I mean, Islanders with two now, Rangers, I think you could say with two as well, and and what the Devils have going on and into the future. But I thought it'd be fun if we kind of took people behind the scenes, behind the curtain, and and let them know what it's like to be a net minder. I mean, I work with a a crazy net minder every single day, Monday to Friday here, 5 to 8 on 98.7 and DiPietro. But I wanted to pick your brain. So walk me through this. You wake up on game day. Let's say for argument's sake, you have a game at seven o'clock. You wake up at what time and walk me through what the day looks like then getting ready for the game as a goaltender. You know, it's funny because I get asked a lot about what this is like. And I could say there's stress you have to manage. There's anxiety that you have to manage. And the hardest part of playing goal is the time before your foot gets over the threshold and touches the ice. I could walk you through what I recall as probably my toughest mental battle getting ready for a game. And it was my first game in Toronto because that's where I'm from. So we flew in the day before and Brendan Shanahan stood up on the back of the bus after we landed and got on the bus that was bringing us en route to the hotel. And he said, Hank, who's starting tomorrow? You know, he yelled from the back of the bus. Everybody already knows it's me. And Lundquist turns around who I'm sitting next to and he says, Valley's playing. And Brendan Shanahan says, oh, boy, Matt Sundin's going to be licking his chops tomorrow. <laughs> so we uh, got to the hotel, and it's mayhem in Toronto, people everywhere. It was Hockey Hall of Fame. And so we're ushered off quickly, not able to go for anything to eat because we've got to go and sign autographs. And we were in there for maybe two hours at the Hockey Hall of Fame, signing autographs, 300 people outside, crazy. Get back to the room, try and get some food and get to sleep. And the next morning, we've got practice at what was the Air Canada Center. And we get there, and it's Kids Day. So there's 8,000 kids from metropolitan Toronto area in the building for our practice. And every time I allowed a goal in practice, the place was going bananas trying to get back to the hotel, get back and have a normal game day set up. It was very frustrating because there was people everywhere. The hardest part was just basically getting from the building and then into the hotel and then back into the arena. It was, it was very challenging, to say the least, getting a cab, everything. So it was very difficult to manage that on top of your parents calling you for tickets. You know, your buddies are getting a limo and they're telling you how great of a time they're going to have, all in an anticipation of you having a performance. It's my first time playing in Toronto. So we get through the game and we're into the shootout. It's 2-2. And who gets the final shot? Uh-oh, Matt, Matt Sundin. Sundin. Here we go. Yep. Right. So now I'm thinking about the fact that Brendan brings it up, you know, and all these things, and you're trying to manage all of that and not be distracted. And if you haven't been through it since you're 12 and 13, it's very difficult to manage these. And that's why it's great to have your youngster get challenged along the way. And if they get cut, uh, encourage them to go back and you're going to have bad games. But I was able to park it just by that time. I was able to say next puck and focus on it, and I eventually stopped Matt Sundin on a breakaway, and we win 3-2 to two in a shootout. And Brennan Shanahan scores the goal uh, for us on the winner on the other side. So that's 
that's how you try and manage things. And it's, I think, just through experience of being able to manage it. But boy, oh boy, I mean, there's a lot of distractions off the ice before you actually see the athletes out there performing. So, uh, Steve Valakit with us here, 98.7 ESPN. I grew up n- not at, at a tremendously high level, but but a decently high level playing tennis. And, and my coach would always say to me, this game is so much mental. And I'm just wondering, is it the same thing for a netminder? Like, when, when you look at how much mental preparation and how how you get into your own head during games and pregame and postgame and, and lose sleep and just become so focused on things, is it as much mental, if not more, than it is physical ability? Well, everybody at the top level has ability. Everybody can play at a high level. The players that are able to perform when pressure is on are the ones that separate. In the NHL for the goalie position, the goalies that are the best are just the goalies that allow the fewest low-danger goals against. Those are the best. Across the board, everybody stops the hard ones at the same rate. One every three. One every three breakaways go in. One every three two-on-ones screen deflections, rebounds, but everybody across the board is playing at that one goal every three high danger chances, but the real difference maker is the guys that fold and allow the bad goal. And the bad goal might not be, Dave, what you and I grew up thinking a bad goal was. They're not all from the perimeter. A bad goal nowadays, because the standards are so high, could be a deflection that came off the ice past your goalie when he has a clean look on it. And sometimes it's depending on the area if a player skates into the slot and shoots and scores. So that's the hard part. Now, the way I managed it, I'll share this with your listeners. They might get a kick out of it. Uh, My teammates didn't know this, but my entire career I traveled with a rose, a a red rose. And it was the challenging part sometimes was basically finding one wherever I was, traveling or before a road trip, I'd put it in a Ziploc bag and have it in my bag. And the reason why I did that was because I came up with an exercise where I'd stare into the heart of the rose and I would really look deep down into it and look at the veins of it and, and the darkness. When you really look down you know, the inside of a rose, you wouldn't believe how uh, much depth it has. The reason why I did that was because I was trying to keep my focus on one singular thing. First time I tried this exercise, I put my iPhone next to me and I put my timer on and it was 20 seconds. You know, I, I started thinking about something else And as soon as I lost my intent focus on the rose, I restarted it. Got to a point where I would have to put a timer on my time doing this exercise or I'd miss the bus. So I could get up to 20 minutes staring at the heart of the rose and then I knew I had control of my mind. I could have a singular focus and I was able to be who I could be athletically on the ice and not be distracted. But that that was the exercise that saved me. That, that's wild. I mean, it's like Miyagi-like stuff there with, with the rose, and you traveled all, all around the country with it. Uh, are, are we still... all find our ways, man. you right? got to figure it out, and nobody's going to do it for you, so you know, it's, tri- it's trial and error. Now, did you tell the guys? Did, did your teammates know about the rose, or is that one you kept to yourself? No, I don't think that I ever, and i got to say no, nobody ever knew. My wife knew. You can imagine uh, coming home after a road trip. Uh, she's driving me to the airport. Like, honey, we got to stop for a rose. She's like rolling her eyes. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> well, she uh, when you first started doing it, she probably thought they were for her. Oh, you're going to get me roses. Yeah, How right. lovely. And then you said, listen, well, it really one, helps me right? focus like, on getting ready for the game. Um, yeah, I had my hot spots around where I always lived.
That, that is funny. Uh, I've heard a lot of goaltenders say this over the years. I want to see if you uh, agree or disagree. Did you prefer the, the day game where you didn't have to kind of, you know, go through the, the, the mental gymnastics all day long leading up to 7 o'clock and get it over with at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah, I think that, see, I'm a thinker, and I know that I'm uh, very intrinsic when I think. I, I, I really cut things down, and details matter to me. And it can get scary because superstition, it's, it's not routine. It's, it's a difference. When there's superstition, you believe you will not perform if you can't do um, you know, the way you want it, uh, X, Y, Z, whatever that is for you. So you really have to understand that routine is something that gets you into a comfort zone, but you can run down the wrong path, and it's very dangerous if you're too superstitious. So... I mean, I don't know. I, again, you just kind of figure it out. And there's there's a lot of points that I look back on now that I think, my God, I was probably driving myself crazy. The afternoon game, I absolutely loved because the game was there. You didn't have to pregame skate and expound too much unnecessary energy. We used to just, come on, 20 years ago, we were really putting ourselves out there into physical risk far too often by how much we used to practice. Load management, forget about it. We practiced like 30, 40 days in a row some years, right? And I like the afternoon game because you were fresh physically and then being able to be fresh mentally. And you didn't have to judge yourself after uh, an A or a B or a C morning skate. It didn't matter. You didn't have one. So, yeah, that part of it. Butch Goring was my coach when I was with the Islanders. He was my, uh, my first coach in the NHL. And he gave me my first start in the NHL and didn't tell me I was playing until moments before the game. And that probably helped me at the time. And he knew it. You know, he knew that I was a young goalie. I was 21 years old playing for the Islanders. And those types of situations, I think, do help somebody to not overthink it. Who was your guy growing up? Did, did you have one netminder in particular that you looked at and you said, that's, that's the guy I want to, A, focus my game on, and then I, I just I absolutely love watching him play? Well, funny enough, my favorite goalie growing up was Darren Pang, and I wore number 40 because of Darren Pang, and it's the only jersey I ever bought. Darren Pang, uh, he might be five foot seven, and being six foot six myself, that doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense, but I was also 12 at the time, so <laughs> it made sense to me. And then um, I started really idolizing Patrick Waugh and emulating everything he did. And then as a pro, I really liked Sean Burke because he was another big goalie. And for me, at 6'6", I had what the scouts referred to as a seven-hole, not a five-hole, a seven-hole. And I was drafted in the eighth round. Nowadays, with my size, I would have been second, third rounder. But... In those days, there were no big goalies. It's funny, I talked to Mike Richter about this not too long ago, and I looked this up for him. His rookie year in the NHL, 72% of the goalies were under six feet. Wow. And this past season, five goalies in the NHL are under six feet. So the size has really changed, and that's what's dramatically changed the position. It, it, tremendously so. Now, wasn't J.D. a, a big goalie? He was always considered that, right? J.D. was, yes, and is a big man, you know. And he was definitely one of the first, along with Ken Dryden. But then through the 80s, everyone really got, you know, nifty and swift and smaller, and those guys could move around the crease better. But we also had deer hair in our pads when I first began. Uh, the pads would soak and you'd be coming off the ice and your gear would be 30 and 40 pounds heavier. It was really wide. 
everything's changed. This position has changed more than any other position in sports. And we could have that argument all day, but you just take a second to look back at what goalies look like in the 70s and 80s and look at what they look like now in the NHL. It's not even close. All right, Steve, let's let's make that a breaking point for us here on the Hockey Show. We'll take a quick break, come back, and really kind of dive deep into the locals and analytics in the NHL. It's Steve Valiquette with us from MSG right here on the Hockey Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Rothenberg with you, 9870 ESPN on a Saturday morning. Uh, Steve Valiquette still with us. Um, now, we, we touched a lot of things about his career and mental preparation, all sorts of things. I wanted to try to focus on the analytics in hockey a little bit and then go through the goaltenders and the three local teams as well in the couple minutes that we have remaining uh, with Steve. So, Steve, we see it all the time uh, on our show uh, people that call the station when you watch baseball games. I mean, baseball and analytics are kind of symbiotic right now. It, it's just the two are hand in hand. And, I, and I'm wondering where we are in the NHL. I know that it's there. Are we really seeing a lot of analytics in hockey or is it different at all than baseball? We've always had analytics, but just to a certain degree. And I think that right now we're far away from being able to take it from the boardroom onto the ice. John Tortorella, when he coached us, and I can recall this in around 08, 09, he would have what he called the primary offender or primary contributor. And this would be a sheet that would be posted in the locker room. If you were on the ice for a scoring chance against and you were the primary offender, you'd get a minus. And if you were on for a grade A chance for, you would get the primary contributor mark. Your plus minus would be listed that way. So on NHL stats, you could be a minus three, but by Torts' number, you could be a plus two, right? And I thought of that as a really good idea at the time. I thought this was a great idea. This is actually putting eyeballs to what we're seeing, and it's not just going by the box score number. And, of course, when I retired, one of the first things I thought about was just trying to equalize everything because the one thing that hockey's never done is charted what a scoring chance is and then have language that could represent the entire league. And the only way you could do that is by tracking every shot during a season, which when I brought that to people's attention initially, they all thought I was crazy. It's just an impossible task. But once you categorize things, you can really simplify it. And our company now is it's really hockey with numbers. Um, Clearsight Analytics is the name of our company, and NHL teams purchase our service, and that's how we're able to spend the money on the trackers and the quality controllers and keep the office going. And I'll tell you what, the, uh, the, one of the best books I've read in the last year is The MVP Machine. Uh, ben Lindbergh and Travis Sawchuk, if you guys have seen that book, it's, it's an amazing book about how there are now conduits within the locker room that can take the information from the analytics department, help have that message flow into the player's bat in baseball or arm when they're talking to pitchers, and explain it to the coaches and how they're going to use it and explain it to the upper management. But until you get everybody on the same page, it's a very difficult process, and hockey is a long way away from that. I think we're probably 10 years typically behind baseball. Um, would I love to see our company have more of an impact on the ice? Absolutely. But when you talk about what we're seeing statistically, if we take a really good team off the rush, Dave, a really good team that's – the New York Rangers are a really good team off the rush. But if you break down their rush plays and why they're effective, 
So they're third. Right now they're third. They have the third best rush chances in the NHL. But when you break them down, you'll see common themes. Like when they're on a 2-1-1, they're very safe about how they pass. They pass before the defenders stick. They're not trying to put it through people. But if they're able to turn the defenders and the defenders' skates start facing their own goalie, then they'll try the pass across. And if it's not there, they should shoot. And they don't always, but... I think that if you break down play-by-play, five-on-five versus your six-on-five versus your five-on-four, and you look for what's working around the league, there's a way to get there. There's a roadmap there. It's just a matter of having the right conduit from the analytics department to everybody else, and and that's the biggest challenge. That is the challenge. Rangers analyst Steve Valaket joining us here on the Hockey Show 98.7 ESPN. Just want to switch our focus a little bit to, to where we are with the locals. Um, you know, there's kind of a differing, I want to get to the Devils for a second, a differing belief about Mackenzie Blackwood. What's your take? Do you, do you think he is a, a, a number one goalie for the next, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 years with the Devils? He is. He is. Uh, but, boy, he's got to be insulated a little bit better. Um, the Devils' penalty kill is atrocious right now. Uh, they have a very difficult time protecting the middle of the ice. So here's the thing. Um, you could have the best goalie in the world, but if you can't keep the play on one side of the ice with not allowing the puck to move from one side of the ice to the other, whether it's D-to-D, D-to-D, or it's below the goal line, corner-to-corner, if you can't isolate and have a strong middle-of-the-ice presence, he's doing very difficult math every night. You know, he's out there, and you have to understand, if you have one focus on the puck, and that's all you have to focus on, if you look at Varlamov's performance against the Rangers, the Rangers had three high-danger chances. That's it, three high-danger chances. Now, looking at the Devils, uh, when the Rangers played the Devils a few weeks ago, they had 11 high-danger chances. <clears throat> you know, so we're, it's a much different game, and it depends on where you play. So, uh, to me, skill set-wise, mindset-wise, he's a top goalie in the league, but he's playing for a broken-down system, and it's very difficult. The math gets too hard for him out there sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, because you watch the Islanders play, and it's almost like a completely different game. So it brings me to the Islanders. Uh, It does look like they're going to make it to the postseason, and beating the Rangers uh, the other night really kind of hammered that point home. Um, they really do have the Rangers number. Who's your number one goalie? Is Varlamov your number one goalie when you get to the postseason? I would, yeah. I'd go with Varlamov, and you know, I'm a little bit biased. I played with him. I know his work ethic. We were actually on vacation last year together. <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons why I love him. I, I just know his high character. I know him on a personal level. I don't know Sorokin as well. He's younger. He's certainly good, and he's going to be great. But I'd want to go with the experience because of those mental components that we talked about at the beginning of the call. These are experiences that he's been through, and I know how he was raised. When we played together in Yaroslavl in Russia, I played with him when I was in the KHL. You know, I saw the way these guys were just hardened. You know, we'd be coming off the ice, and he'd be in the dirt doing squats and lunge squats. And these guys sacrifice a lot over there, and if you look around, the league in net right now has been taken over by the Russians. The Russians are killing it everywhere. You know, so there's, there's a lot there to like. Um, I'm familiar with his background. I'm familiar with his experience, and I know the high character that he has. He's a competitor. So, yes, it really wouldn't be a conversation for me. It's Varlamov all day. 
But the future of the Islanders goaltending is in really good hands with Sorokin going to be at some point past the baton, right? Like, if you're an Islanders fan, you have to feel great about the situation you're in. Oh, man. I mean, can you talk about the 180 this organization's taken in the last four years? Yeah. You know, um, the Islanders are a contending team again. I mean, the way they play, the hardest part for the Islanders sometimes is just getting through the regular season, which doesn't fit the way they want to play. But the way they want to play is conducive to winning and going on a run again in the playoffs. That's a that's a playoff team. They're going to win again. They're going to win one, two rounds, and it's going to get tough, and it's going to get close, and they might end up in a game seven, but they're going to be in it. That's a, that's a very impressive, methodical, Stanley Cup contending team to me when I watch the Islanders play. That's a team that can win. So you think they can win the whole thing here this year? They could. They could. I think there's five or six teams that we could include in that conversation, and they're one of them. And this is a bizarre time. I mean, last year was bizarre. I think Tampa Bay had 216 minutes of overtime last year, if I remember that correctly, NHL record. And that's what it takes. I mean, how much luck is involved, too, Dave? It's not – it's a bounce here. It's a bounce there. It's not always the best team that wins. I mean, 216 minutes of overtime, are you kidding me? It could have went the other way a few times for them. Their first game of the playoffs against, uh, what was it, five, it was, it was against Columbus, five overtime periods, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, you got to, it's very thin sliced margins that we're talking about here in the playoffs, and there's a certain percentage of luck, but the strongest group gets through, and I, I have a lot of confidence in that Islander group. I think they're very strong. Kind of feels like they're built for the postseason as well. And let, let's finish it off with the, the team that you cover, and that is the New York Rangers. We'll start with uh, your wheelhouse, the netminder. Um, you're a big fan of, of Shesterkin, right? You think that the future is, is very bright for him? Yeah, I think he's nasty. I really do. I think he's really good. Uh, he's already a top-five goalie in the NHL, at least in underlying numbers. Uh, if you look at his raw save percentage, that would also represent that. Everything that he's done uh, from handling the puck – uh, he has to. He really influences whoever's playing against the Rangers to change their forecheck. So that's one component that really stands out right now in the NHL. He is the best goalie statistically in save percentage on breakaways, on rebounds, on clear-sighted shots that he sees. If I'm a Ranger defenseman right now and I'm playing a two-on-one, a three-on-two, I am giving that goalie the shot all day. You don't need to over-defend for him, overstretch yourself, put yourself out of position, going down to one knee. Ranger defensemen, if they just stay on their feet, and they had a hard time doing this, I think they had a hard time doing this because they were playing in a very pressure-packed, tight game where they lost themselves a little bit in composure and really ran themselves out of position, ultimately making the guy that is their MVP uh, uh, you know, really have a challenging night. You know, and I think that the better the Rangers play defensively in front of him, and the, the Rangers have really improved this year defensively, uh, D-zone structure. In their D-zone, they've really improved. Um, they've improved their PK. It's been tremendous. But off the rush, they still struggle to defend. They have a hard time picking people up and, and reading off the rush and giving up the blue line. Um, when they get that together, this team's going to be a juggernaut, too. I mean, they're around the corner. It's kind of neat, though. We're, we're going to be in a time next year where the Islanders and Rangers are going to be two of the top teams in the East, and they're going to go head-to-head, and it's going to be enjoyable hockey. These are really good times around the corner for us in this region. 
Rangers' future is very, very bright. But my, my question for you is, does something need to change? Like, do they need to make some, some, some tweaks to this team? Or is, for the most part, this is the team and they just need a little bit of, uh, of age and, and experience to make this team better? Well, I think there's just definitely a few stages, right? And they're in the beginning stages of upping the skill level internally. And I'm talking about the young guys with Lafreniere and Kako and Krabsov and on the back end, Miller and Fox is already a stud. Uh, Lindgren's been outstanding. These guys are going to come up and be the new core, right? And they're supported by uh, a league MVP type player like Artemi Panarin. And then you've got great secondary support from Zibanejad, who sometimes is your frontline guy, and Kreider. Um, so when I look at the team, they're really building a strong core. Now the pieces that they have to place around that core, when that core is at least defined internally by the team to say, hey, we're going for it, we're ready, guys, what they're going to do is they're going to go out and they're going to get a Blake Coleman or a Pat Maroon or a Barkley Goudreau and fill those guys in at the trade deadline or via free agency because those pieces can be added. You're going to need more grit in the lineup. Everybody knows that. But those pieces can be added when you know you're ready to contend. They're not ready for that yet. That's why those guys aren't there. Those guys aren't there because they'd be taking time away from the developing players that are playing right now a little deep in the lineup, like a Kravtsov could be playing higher up, and I think we're going to see more of that as we get past these, uh, you know, next through, next rather through these five games. But those pieces are going to get added. There's going to be grit added. There's going to be defensive depth added. But those those times haven't come yet because the, that's not the stage this team's in yet. But next year, it's a playoff team, and maybe some depth on D is going to be needed to do that. But the grit elements that you're going to see for playoff-ready teams, I don't think that they're ready to, to add that yet. Well, Steve, listen, our time is coming to an end, but I have to tremendously thank you. I, I thought it was a really fun interview. I think we touched on a, a number of really entertaining topics, and I appreciate it. And uh, ha- have a good, uh, I guess, I can't say call of the game, but analysis of the Rangers tonight in studio. And uh, good stuff, and hopefully we get a chance to uh, chat down the road at some point. My pleasure, Dave. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you so much, Steve. Really appreciate a couple minutes here on a Saturday morning. Great stuff. You do a wonderful job on uh, MSG and the Rangers game. So that's Steve Valiquette. We'll put that to the back burner for the moment. And guys, it's time for the look ahead. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Look ahead to the week that's coming up for the three locals. Maybe hear from Adam Fox. Maybe hear from the commissioner, Gary Bettman, as well. We're far from done. It's the hockey show on a Saturday morning right here on 98.7 ESPN. Good morning, hockey fans. Andy from Eric with this week's Hockey (laughs) Trivia. Who holds the Rangers team record for career penalty minutes? with 1,226. Good morning, hockey fans. Andy from Eric with this week's Hockey (laughs) Trivia. (laughs) Defenseman Ron Greshner played his entire 16-year career with the Blue Shirts and is their all-time leader, Penalty Minutes. And it is the Hockey Show. Dave Rothenberg with you right here on 98.7 ESPN. A lot lot that we've gotten into today. Obviously, the recap of a very busy week for the locals. Islanders, uh, not great, but then ending it off on a big-time high note with their 
I mean, for lack of a better term, thrashing of the Rangers on Thursday night. So um, we've got that. We have to look ahead at what we have coming up uh, this week. As the we, You can see the end of the NHL regular season now. It's not too far off uh, into the future. Now, this is it for you guys. Uh, we've given you weeks to get involved, but this is it. Big giveaway. Islanders are giving you a chance to win a signed jersey. Now, think about that for a moment. A signed jersey by members of the team. You can enter right now through May 2nd, which is tomorrow. So you have through tomorrow, and you do it on NewYorkIslanders.com slash jersey. There's, there's, you're giving nothing away. You're entering into this contest, and you have a chance to win the jersey. Let me give it to you again because I want you to have the opportunity to win free stuff. So here you go. Um, signed jersey from the Islanders. Big-time giveaway. Enter now through tomorrow, May the 2nd, on NewYorkIslanders.com slash jersey. Jersey. All right. So hopefully, well, I'm sure one of you is going to win that. And congratulations in advance. And maybe we'll even make a little announcement uh, next week on the show for who wins it. But other things to get into, we'll look at the week that is on the horizon for the three locals. But before we do that, uh, the Rangers give out an award and it's called the Stephen McDonald Extra Effort Award. And if you don't remember, Stephen McDonald was a police officer that was terribly hurt in the line of duty. Um, He was on oxygen. He was in a wheelchair. uh, He could not move. And he, he used to love the Rangers and he would always go to the games and he'd be sitting there and he was kind of someone that the Rangers and the fans looked at as as uplifting. And when he passed away uh, a number of years ago now, they turned this into a Steve McDonald Extra Effort Award. And it's something given to a member of the Rangers who has done something above and beyond for that extra effort. And this year it went to defenseman Adam Fox, who's had uh, just an otherworldly kind of a season. I think even the most ardent Rangers fan is surprised at what this young defenseman has been able to do this year. And here he is on winning the Stephen McDonald Extra Effort Award. It's definitely an honor to, to be voted, especially by the fans. And, you know, to Patty Ann and Connor and the, the whole McDonald family, it's it's a real honor. And, you know, I, growing up in New York, I, I know what a what a hero and, and what a what an icon Stephen McDonald was to, to the city and to this organization. So, you know, it's definitely an honor and uh, definitely, you know, grateful for it. Well, you, you can hear that. I will tell you this, and we deal with a lot of athletes, both uh, on the shows that we cover and just in, in watching sports. And oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes you hear a young athlete and you think to yourself, oh, he just doesn't get it. You don't feel like that with Adam Fox. You almost feel the exact opposite. You feel here's a guy who absolutely does get it and really handles himself with, with such um, appropriate I don't know if appropriateness is a word, but he handles himself so appropriately and so well and is such a good face of this organization. He's going to be uh, one of the stalwarts for a very, very long time. All right, so we'll get to the schedule in just a couple moments, but Gary Bettman spoke this week, and he was asked why, because if you haven't heard, TNT is going to carry the Stanley Cup Finals a little bit over the next seven years. Why did they strike the deal uh, with TNT? From our standpoint, we looked at the strength of the Turner Sports portfolio, which is outstanding. They do a great job of covering their other major properties. They put a fun and innovative factor into all of what they do. And we're excited to have that same treatment for our sports and for our fans. We love the reach uh, of their linear networks, both TNT and TBS. And as we look to the future, We're excited about the digital properties and in particular HBO Max and the Bleacher Report. So there you have it. And that's kind of why the deal got done with TNT. And and I will tell you this, that that inside the NBA show that they do, and I watch a a bunch of the pregames and the postgames 
Uh, some of the NFL pregames are really, really good. Uh, CBS, I think, has a nice one. Obviously, ESPN, we have a really good one. And the postgame as well, where they whip around the league. And Chris Berman's been known to do that for years. But as far as inside the NBA is concerned, it, it's such a great postgame. Because they really get into the basketball. They don't take themselves too seriously. It's fun. It's lighthearted. It's really, really well done. Uh, hockey would, would be really wise to kind of follow that model and come up with something very similar. Okay. I know that people absolutely love uh, the look ahead to the next week. And let's do the look ahead uh, into, and we're in May, by the way, only a couple weeks left in the NHL season. So here's what we have. Uh, Rangers with four games this week. Uh, a battle against a team that, you know, Rangers have had their way against. Even they've they beaten the, the Capitals this year. They've beaten the Bruins this year. They've they found their way to wins against uh, Pittsburgh numerous times this year. The one team that really, they just, they just, and they have beaten the Islanders, but it feels like they just can't get over that hump, is the Islanders. Well, they're back at it tonight. Uh, the game is in the Garden again. That gets started at 6.30. And programming note, you can catch that one on 10.50 a.m. So tonight, Islanders, 10.50 a.m. And you look at the Rangers now at this point, and they, they really they need to win every single game. Just to have a, a prayer, a Hail Mary prayer at getting to the postseason every single game. Uh, Monday against the Capitals. That game also at the Garden. That also gets started at 6.30, and you can catch that one on 10.50 a.m. as well. On Wednesday, it's the Capitals again. Same exact scenario. It's 6.30. Game is on Wednesday, and you can catch that one on 10.50 a.m. as well. And then on Thursday, uh, the Rangers take on the Boston Bruins. That game, of course, is Thursday. uh, Back-to-back, so they go Wednesday. Capitals travel to Boston for the game on Thursday, 6.30, and you can catch that game right here on 98.7 ESPN. So three home games and a road game for the Rangers this coming week. Islanders tonight, Capitals Monday, Capitals Wednesday, and at the Bruins on Thursday. As far as the Islanders are concerned, and again, they've kind of you know, solidified that playoff standing right now with the win against the Rangers on Thursday night of this past week. Uh, it's the Rangers tonight, 6.30. You can catch the game, as we mentioned, uh, on 10.50 a.m. And then the Islanders have, listen, I'm not saying they're gimmies, but they're easier games than going up against the Bruins and the Rangers, although maybe not for the Islanders, and the um, and the Penguins and the Capitals. Um, on Monday night, the Islanders are in Buffalo. Uh, the puck drops in that one at 7 o'clock. And then on Tuesday, so they, they go Saturday night tonight, Monday night, and then Tuesday night in Buffalo again, 6.30 start in that one. And you can catch it right here on 98.7 ESPN. And then Thursday, it's the devil. So listen, the, the three teams that the Islanders have, have had more success against this season, Rangers, then Buffalo, Buffalo, and then the Devils on Thursday. That's at 6.30. And catch that one on 10.50. So no longer are we in position where we look at the Islanders and say, is that going to be a team that's going to get to the postseason? Now I think you kind of look at it and say to yourself, how do we wind up with the, with the two seed? How do we win this division? Because you look at the upcoming schedule, these are all imminently winnable games for the Islanders. So three on the road at the Rangers, at Buffalo, at Buffalo again, and then home to the Devils Thursday of this week. And speaking of the Devils, the Devils are in Philadelphia. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. Then they have Boston back-to-back. So the Devils with three games in four days as well. Uh, Boston at home in Jersey Monday night. You can catch that one uh, at 7 o'clock. And then against Boston again on Tuesday. And that is also at 7 o'clock. And then the Devils. And the, the opportunity the Devils have is to play spoiler here. Now, Philly obviously is on the outside looking in. But two games against Boston, you can make some noise 
Islanders against them. And then at the Islanders on Thursday, that's a 6.30 start. And you can catch it, of course, on 10.50 a.m. So four games for the Devils as well uh, at Philly, home to Boston, home to Boston again, and that at the Islanders to close out the week. So that's the situation for the Devils this week. Let me give you one more crack at this. The Islanders are giving away a signed jersey. I mean, this is big stuff, guys. A signed jersey. You can enter right now through May the 2nd on NewYorkIslanders.com slash jersey. All right, that's it for us. Let's give a couple of thanks out there and hand it over to um, Joe Wiz here on 98.7 ESPN. As always, Andy from Merrick, our coordinating producer. Uh, Anthony Pusick, who... I'm telling you, doesn't care for me, but is tremendously helpful to me every single show that we put on. Ray Dinahan as well. So thanks to the guys behind the glass that you never get to see and they don't get the credit that they deserve. Big thanks to them. Let's hand it over to Joe Wiz. Now, I, of course, am back with you this morning at 9 o'clock. We're going to get heavy, heavy into the NFL draft about what the Giants and the Jets have done over the last couple of days. That's it for now. Back in an hour. It's Rothenberg with you. It's the Hockey Show, or it has been anyway, right here on 98.7 ESPN.